Right, I think... I think we should go live. Let's do this. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas, and I uh, I just want to say that um, nine comrade marathon wins and I think a completion rate of about 26 comrades, and that's just me. <laughs> I'm joined by the magnificent Bruce Fordyce. Hi, Joe. Yeah, slightly disappointing in the flesh, but it is me. Yes, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's 30, by the way. I ran 30. 30? I thought it was 26 or 27. 30? No, I ran 30, and um, I, I, I really had a wonderful reason to call it quits at 30 because I, with about 20 kilometers to go, I caught Zola Bud running her first comrades. Zola Bud, wow. Zola was running her first com comrades, and um, I picked her up. And I remember when I, I I went past her, I thought, "Cheeky little imp, don't you know my CV? What I've done in this race? You don't go ahead of me." And then I'd gone about twenty meters when I suddenly realised, "No, this is the marketing opportunity of a lifetime. If you're not going to win the race, the best way to get major coverage is to finish with Zola." And so we uh, towed each other through the last twenty kilometers. I the lady of. I actually remember seeing were. that on TV. Yeah. And so it was, we, we, yeah, so that was my 30th and her first. And it, well, I thought it was a great way to end it. Did she run it barefoot? No. <laughs> <laughs> on those road, broken bottles, uh, bottle tops, pieces of glass, yeah, thorns. No, you wouldn't do that. What to, so was that, was that down or up? That was the down run, yeah. Sure. Can you remember what year? Oh, yeah, 2012. Um, and I need to point out that she came back two years later. The following year, she was injured and sick or something. She didn't run. But she came back two years later, and without me hindering her, she ran about over an hour faster and finished seventh woman overall and first veteran. So, And she, I know she's got another one still planned. But you don't? No. Uh, I really I, I can't run the most because there are two maniacs uh, Louis uh, Louis Massain and Barry Holland who both run 47 comrades so Gee. even if they died tomorrow I still have to do 17 more to catch them so, and, and then to be quite honest with you Jeremy, if you are a past winner and you're down for the comrades weekend it is an absolute ego trip and everybody wants your attention everyone right. wants a bit of you you can all the cocktail parties all the functions but if you're running you have to wrap yourself in cotton wool and you have to avoid all the fun so yeah uh, why do that bruce so 
thank you for for joining me on this podcast now i want to just quickly and i don't want to spend too much time on your history because everybody gets bored when we when we do the history lesson but you were born in hong kong that's kind of weird yes what's um, the story uh, I, I, it, it's a it's a very interesting story so my my grandfather was a postmaster in lady brand so by the way here's a really boring thing i inherited an unbelievable stamp collection um, <laughs> which i still i still um I still have the stamp collecting mentality because he handed to me uh, an unbelievable collection of stuff. You know, as the postmaster, they get told you the, all these stamps are wrong, they've been printed wrong, you must destroy them. So he would do so, but he'd keep one sheet. Or he would, or, you know, all the rarities, all that stuff. Yeah, so I've got a great South African uh, stamp collection. And my father uh, grew up in Lady Brand. He said as a young boy, it was fantastic climbing in the copies, you know, f- uh, fishing in the in the in the dams and that kind of thing but then the hormones hit in as as they do and he just said he suddenly realized is this it is this going to be my life and so he wanted to make something of his life and thank goodness he did because each generation in, in many ways improves the generation after them if they get it right and so he wanted to see the world and the way to see the world for him was to join the british army um which you could do then and by the way you still can and young men and women still do because we are part of the commonwealth mm. all you have to do as he told me is put your hand on the put your hand on the union jack raise your other hand in front of a photograph of the king or the queen in his day the king say i swear allegiance to the crown and you're in sure and you're earning pound and then he went to sandhurst which is the officers training uh, college in in britain um and was immediately attracted to a very famous regiment called the Gurkhas, who are Nepalese, and they they're the only British uh, regiment that is not actually British, but they're part of the British Army, and they are generally in the Far East. So he was posted to Hong Kong, ironically, to keep Chinese out of Hong Kong. That's <laughs> his job. And so I was born there. My sister was born in Singapore, mm. and we grew up in the Far East. And I can tell you quite honestly, if you are the child of the in those days of a South African stroke British Army officer, mm. in the last last parts of the British Empire, it was like living in Camelot, and an absolutely magical upbringing. And uh, my father was to me like King Arthur. I mean, he's an officer, and my mother, very beautiful, who sadly died last week. So I'm still a bit emotional about that. She was Guinevere, so it was a an amazing upbringing and then I went to school in the UK to King's School Canterbury where I sang in the choir and learned to love history and English and then we returned to South Africa and if you want to know what color my my blood is my blood is green um, <laughs> when the Rugby World Cup final I didn't wear a white jersey <laughs> I, wore, <laughs> I, wore, I wore a Springbok jersey yeah and then Bruce I mean like how did how did you get into running? I mean, I mean, I I, I hate running. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we all have something. I hate swimming. I mean, if you push me into a pool, I'll swim. But uh, don't ask me to do lengths. You, know? you get out. You've got hat hair. You've got a schnally across your face. It looks so terrible. <laughs> and <laughs> you also don't look particularly well endowed if it's freezing cold. But anyway, um, uh, so from a very early age, I I was um. I just noticed that when it came to running, I was better than my classmates. And the longer the race, the better I was. Yeah. And um, 
And so I always loved running. I mean, by the way, I was a, I was a very passionate uh, rugby player. Um, I was the guest speaker for the Blue Bulls a few years ago, and I sat next to Farid Dupriya, who without a doubt in his heyday was the best scrum half in the world, even better than any of the All Black scrum halves. And I had a wonderful moment where I teased him, sitting next to Brian Habana and a couple of the other uh, uh, Blue Bulls Springboks. And I said to Faria, and he's so polite, and he's very Afrikaans, and really polite and, and quiet. And I said to him, Faria, um, I also played number nine, China. I was, uh, I was a scrum half. And just so you know, I love your work. I love your work. But just some advice from me. I played for my under-15 B team at school. I think you kick the ball too often. You need to keep it. And he was so polite. He said, thanks, Bruce. <laughs> I played for my under-15 B team. <laughs> Well, I'm from the Western Cape, so we don't talk about the Blue Bulls. Well, <laughs> have I lost you? Are you there? Can I? Hello? Can you hear me? Sorry. Yeah, I lost you there somewhere. Anyway, I, I, I sorry. It's just uh, that's me. Technology. I get terrified. Oh, and no. I don't know what point you lost me, but I basically told Farid Dupriya that he could take a few lessons from me about scrum half. Um, <laughs> and I played for my, I played for my under fifteen B team at school, so I know a thing or two. But the, but then I, what I found was that running was always my my great passion. <clears throat> um, and whenever we had school sports day, and the, you know the teachers used mm. to say, "Four dice, you're running the." You're running the uh, 800 meters, and my mates would say, "Oh no, please, sir, that's two laps. That's horrible. That's so far." I would say, "Okay, I'm running the 800. I'll do it," and then I would do well, or the 1500, or the school cross country. Yeah, Bruce. So, at what point did you th did you realize that running like really long distance was your thing? Um. Well, well. <laughs> Really, really long distance, no. So um, this is a very good opportune moment for me to throw in a little plug if I can. Mm, sure, go for and, it. And that is the, the only good thing about lockdown, and don't get me on that subject because I think it's one of the greatest crimes ever committed against humanity and is an absolute disgrace and didn't work, and I don't care who disagrees with me. It's horrific. And um, the only good thing for me was that I finally got myself into gear and finished my project was which was to write a comrades advice book mm. for comrades novices based on my own uh, experience as a as a first time comrades runner so what i did was uh, for some strange reason when i started running i um, i immediately kept a diary of every single training run i kept a logbook so that I can tell you my first training run was 10 minutes around the Vitz rugby fields at night on, uh, in June 1976. And I could hardly write in my little diary that I started because my fingers were so cold because it was June. And the next day I went for 12 minutes and I had to walk a few times. And so I carried on going like that. And so what I did is I took that diary, which by chance goes for a full calendar year, and I added notes saying this was a great idea, this was not a great idea. And why I loved the first year was that in sort of layman's terms, I was a relatively ordinary comrades runner. It was going to be another two or three years mm. before I realized I could win it. And so it, it, for me, has been a wonderful project. And then the book has 
metamorphosized, if I can use that word, because then I started adding stories because I just got, it was very dry and dull and just for comrades runners. I started writing personal anecdotes about what happened to me at the time I was at, at university, I was at Wits, some of the adventures we had. I wrote, I wrote about my broken heart because my girlfriend broke up with me, which was traumatic. I wrote about the music of the time and then, interesting enough, the politics of the time because not a couple of days after I'd started running with this project of running the following year's comrades um, was June the 16th. And uh, I wouldn't for one moment want to say that we Vitsis were in any way remotely uh, put through the horrific experience that the pupils in, in and students in Soweto were, but we did try and get involved and we did get murdered by the police and chased onto campus and tear gassed and that kind of thing. So I put all that stuff into the book as well and I really really like it quite proud of it it's not going to give uh, I'm not going to give um, any of the great authors any sleepless nights and in terms of sales uh, JK Rawlings can sleep uh, relax um, but but I've had some good feedback and I'm really proud of it and I've called it winged messenger and you would say why what if what a strange name for a running book but it's winged messenger because the comrades emblem the logo on the medal mm. of the Com uh, comrades medal and badge is uh, hermes and hermes is the winged messenger of the gods and so i have challenged people who haven't run to say you're not a winged messenger yet run comrades and become a winged messenger and join us and uh, uh, yeah i like I, I like it it's a great book and i'll um I, I'll I'll, I'll put the link. Yeah, I'll put the link onto my website tomorrow so people can um, can um, yeah. can can order it. Okay, Bru fantastic, Bruce. But let's let's just talk yeah. about real things for a second. Uh, you went to yeah. Wits. You went to Wits. Now, yes, South Africa's finest university. Yes. So I got your details <laughs> from a good mate, Tim Noakes, who is a UCT yes. boy. Now, well, uh, that's the only thing. The lovely, lovely man and a brilliant mind. But, yeah, <laughs> pity about. Uh, his alma mater. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> so so I'm amazed that you and Tim are still friends. I mean, you were into Vits and he was at UCT. <laughs> we became friends almost immediately because of running, because Tim wrote that incredible book of his, The Law of Running, <laughs> which he which um, he doesn't uh, which he doesn't cite anymore. <laughs> He hardly does. Well, he doesn't cite the section on carbohydrate loading, but, but some of the other research. I mean, he, he he interviewed some of the great runners of the planet. So I mean, obviously the section on me, he's he, he goes on and on about. <laughs> um, he's he's written, but so we became great mates. He also I was struggling at the time. I won't bore you with the details, but I was struggling with an, a persistent injury that I kept getting, and he met me at what was the, then the old Jansmuts Airport en route to. A, a talk he had to give a presentation and he said meet me at the airport met him there he made me run up and down the the, the departure lounge he looked at me and he diagnosed my problem immediately and told me what i had to do and without that i might have struggled for many many months um and then we just became friends i mean we were involved in a in a business small business venture um producing high high carbohydrate energy drinks for for runners because that's what we believed in um, and then we've just met many challenges together and he's remained a, a wonderful mate and by the way the book I spoke about that I've just written he's written the forward right and it's a very very over generous forward but uh, to have him praise me is for me the highest praise possible 
And at the risk of exaggeration, I think Tim Noakes deserves the Nobel Prize for medicine. Um, he's just an astonishing person. You know? I, I agree. Gentle. Mm. And, and what was done to him and that bullying, and by the way, by his alma mater, mm. those letters that were written are an absolute disgrace and embarrassment to the so-called academics who wrote them. Because Tim's right. And uh, so are the, the gathering throng of, of, of doctors and dietitians who are starting to swing that way. He is right. And he always was. And he was vilified, almost crucified, and brutally bullied. And he's one of the gentlest men around. Um, I'm guessing that you also uh, subscribe to the idea of a very low-carbohydrate intake. I do. I mean, I don't know how much time we've got, but it, it's essentially for me transform my life. I, I can never do no carbohydrates. Yeah. But um, a low carbohydrates and where possible as healthy as I can do. But, you know, if you want to sum up everything um, ab ab about carbohydrates, and if we had 30 seconds left, I would just say this. Carbohydrates are what, get, are what cause obesity, nothing else. Um, and so... In my own particular case, I was always skinny as anything, ate everything. My favorite meal for many years was slup chips and gravy in the Witz canteen. Mm. And, um, you know, when you're a student, you don't have a lot of money. So a lot of carbohydrates. I carbohydrate loaded for all my races. I drank high energy drinks on all my races and I did well. Mm. Um, but then with advancing age, you know, you suddenly realize that you put on a little tire. So then you think, well, that's because I'm lazy, I'm not training like I used to, so then you run even harder, uh, and it doesn't work. And uh, I have slowly come to realize, as have many people, that no amount of exercise can outdo a bad diet. Exercise is brilliant, I'm an advocate for it, it's fantastic, but you, you first of all have to work out what you're eating. Mm -hmm. And it, the realization came to me that I'd actually finished a Two Oceans Marathon, and they sent the post-race photographs. And there was a photograph of me just crossing the line with a great mate. And I looked like I had a boop, but quite a big boop. And so this was really disconcerting. And I thought, no, 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 that's just the shadow. And it's my number has curled over. My race number has curled over. And it makes it look like I've got a boop. And then I had to stare at it for a long time and said, no, Bruce, you've got a boop. And uh, I realized that I'd put on weight and that my inner thighs were touching. That's always a <laughs> putting on weight. So when, my, when I'm running and the, my inner thighs slightly touch, it means, oh, oh, careful. And so then I didn't know what to do. And then one morning, it's, um, it's, uh, I never know whether to pronounce it a Damascene or a Damascene moment, whatever. But I came down. Damascus, because I've had the same moment. I had a day, I had it like, like Saul and Paul or whatever. And I came down to the, my kitchen to go for my normal <laughs> run and I always have my cup of coffee, two to three spoons of sugar and just one morning I just looked at the cup, cup, coffee cup and I said no sugar mm. and I absolutely hated it and I did the same thing the next day. I used to average five or six, I still do, five or six cups of tea or coffee a day times two to three spoons of sugar a day. That's a lot now of sugar. I have the same number but no, but no sugar. Mm. Um, and so all I did was cut it out. And to be honest, for about two weeks, it was really grim going. I hated my tea and coffee. And then one day, I just that was it. I had made the switch. But the results were instantaneous. I mean, within, within a week, I'd lost two kgs. Within a week, I was running better. I was, more, I was recovering faster afterwards. And then, I don't know about you, but you get excited. So then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try and leave out bread. Even more results are coming. 
and mm. then you get even more excited, you know. And then, and then, yeah, other carbohydrates. So, and you know, I, I don't want to wax evangelical about it, but for me, it was a, an absolutely. It was a, one of the second greatest gift I've ever given myself was to do. The first greatest gift I ever gave myself was to run, mm. to start running. The second was to look at the food, and I'm not. I'm not painful. So if I came to your place and you didn't know and you've made a pasta, I'll eat it. Yeah. And I'll enjoy it. Uh, I mean, there are some things I miss. I miss a penne puttanesca so badly um, <laughs> uh, with extra chili. Um, but, <laughs> but I would eat it, but then I will go back on the program the next day. And then where Tim and I part company is, I've got a little, you know, gentle scotch here because I'm a fredice. Cheers. Um, and. <laughs> Yeah, it's whiskey, by the way. Whiskey without the E. Um, yeah. That's a scotch. Um, and I enjoy that. Um, and Tim would, would, Tim would again, he would say, Bruce, absolutely, have a, a whiskey with yeah. water or soda, low carbohydrate, have a glass of dry white wine, a glass of red. The, the place where Tim and I part company is that I tend to have a bit more than a glass. That's the thing, particularly if I'm... Um, with people I love socializing mm. the loneliness of the runner is absolute rubbish I, I'm a huge social animal as yeah. you can hear I can hardly stop talking and <laughs> you know yeah when, yeah, the, when rugby, well, the rugby world cup <clears throat> final to remember well I don't remember too much of it after we'd won you know that was such a nice when 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 Tim when Tim gave me your details I said look we'll chat for about an hour he said no that's too short <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Bruce, w w can you remember your very first comrades? Let's talk about that for a second. Well, that's my book that I've just written, so it's it's now been laser beamed back into my mind. Right. So tell me, tell me about that, and how you and how you prepared for it. Well, I, I so what I did, I, I started six months before. So I started a calendar year before comrades, and I, I started with one goal in mind not to lose weight because i was a skinny little thing then anyway but to to run comrades and, and because i'd seen it on television the race they didn't show it live in those days 1976 you've got it and that's why my book's quite interesting 1976 was the first year we ever had television and i can tell you that the first televised event ever on south african television was the cape to rio yacht race I'm a mine of useless bits of information. But anyway, I, <laughs> I started running in June 1976 with the specific purpose of running Comrades. I watched it on television. I didn't for one moment think that the person who, who won was Alan Robb. He won his first Comrades then. I had little idea that a few years later we would be the bitterest of rivals on the road. And yet a few more years after that, we'd be the greatest of friends. And... Um, uh, but I, so that was the plan was to run comrades and I trained on my own for six months because I was too scared to join any club and so I just ran on my own a lot around Johannesburg my parents when it was um, a university holidays I went back home to my parents in Bryanston and I ran around there so I've recorded all those runs and then when the new year started so 1977 I joined the Wits Athletic Club which was in those days a very strong uh, uh, athletics club with a very powerful um, uh, comrades tradition with a number of runners at uh, from Vitz who had done exceptionally well including Dave Levick who won the 1973 comrades he actually won it I hate to say it, it hurts but he won it in UCT colors 
but he was actually down at UCT. <laughs> one year course, he was doing a one year course, he was a bitsy. And he did all his main running. <laughs> and so those were my heroes. And then I joined the club, and the, and the, the guys in the club guide you. They tell you what mm. to do. They don't really coach you, but they tell you what to do, and you do what they do. So there was just a natural progression. You run your first half marathon, and then you run your first 32, mm. and then you run your first marathon, and then your first ultra, and then you run Comet. And so that was the natural progression, and I've just written about that. And I can remember it very well, because comrades back then, can you hear me? Steve? Yeah, yeah, I've got you, yeah. Comrades back then was a very different race. So um, there were only 1,200 runners. Uh, you didn't have to qualify. You could enter the night before. The entry fee was four rand. Um, <laughs> and you ran in Tiger, Boston's, or, or Adidas something or others that came in an exciting range of two colors, blue or red. And you, uh, we all took salt tablets because a couple of years before that, the British Lions had absolutely smashed the Springboks in a, in, in a test series. And they all took salt tablets for the, because they thought they would cramp, the British Lions did. So we all thought we had to do that. We all carbo-loaded because it was the new state of the, of, of, of the sport uh, idea. Um, in the actual race itself, your loved ones could follow you and drive alongside you and hand you your drinks out of the window of the car. You, they, you know, there was mobile, you could be seconded the whole way along. Um, this is a slightly bitter subject. There, uh, there was no Chariots of Fire. There was no music at the start, Chariots of Fire. Why? <laughs> because Chariots of Fire, the movie, was only made in 1981. So there was none of that. Um, there was Max Trimble's Cockerel Crow to start the race. And then, yeah, there was, this is a bitter subject, there was no prize money. Oh, uh, so, you ran it, so you ran for the love of it. Well, when I won, I got a gold medal. Um, so I'm not bitter, but <laughs> but but it's half a million rand now. So times nine, that would be quite nice. Oh, but I'm wow. not I'm not bitter, as you can hear. If and if you, I think if you break the record, you get a million rand, which in my case would have been times five. Because you broke your own record. Not, yeah, I broke my own record a couple of times. Well, I broke Alan's record and then mine and whatever. So, um, yeah. <laughs> that, five times that wouldn't have been bad um, <laughs> a while ago uh, before my knee gave me trouble I actually won the Gerald Fox 10k race at Zoo Lake um, which was fantastic I didn't actually break the tape I'd, I, I, the, a younger faster runner had done that long before me but when I crossed the line exhausted one of the officials came up to me and said Bruce you better stay behind afterwards for the prize giving because we think you've won the over 50s mm. the master section and I was so excited, I got a hundred rand. My entry fee was 50 rand, and on the way out, I bought a burry roll, uh, but because of Tim Noakes, I obviously had to throw the bread away and try and scrape <laughs> off some of the tomato sauce. And so I, think I, came, I think I came home absolutely exhausted because it was hard race. You don't want to race old guys because they're all determined to prove they're not old. Um, and, and then I lay there exhausted in, on the couch the whole day. And I made 15 rand profit, but I was so chuffed. Listen, Tim Noakes, if you're listening to this podcast, look at what you've done to us. <laughs> <laughs> um, Bruce, uh, my wife wanted me to ask you, and this is a, a kind of serious question, because she, she enjoys going for a run, um, you know, without Wonderful. me, because, because I don't like running. But No, no, and you, if you're going to interfere with her special time alone. Yeah. <laughs> but she, she asked me to ask you, 
what sort of mental training did you do? I mean, we're not talking about 10 kilometers yet. We're talking about 90 kilometers. We're going between cities. This is not a joke. This is, I mean, I mean, I mean, on the one hand, on the one hand, you train physically, but on the other hand, you've got to do something upstairs. Yes. So a a very good question. So I, you know, if I tried as hard as I I could now to train myself mentally, it wouldn't work because my brain would keep telling me, Bruce, you're old and you've got a gammy knee and you just, it mm. doesn't happen. But in those days, what was happening is I would get, I would get feedback from my training. So I would mm. do certain key training sessions. The Westcliff Stairs, for any of you who know the Westcliff Stairs, that's one of the finest training sessions in the world. It is now jam-packed traffic jam on a Saturday and a Sunday morning because everybody from the Mount Everest climbers to the, I don't know, everybody's going up and down. But in my day, it was me and a little sheepdog that used to run alongside mm. the wall along and accompany me. I lived in one of the houses there. And I would run sprint repetitions up and down that thing. Now, when I got to a stage where I could do six in a minute or just under a minute, that told me everything I need to know. It told me you are fit, you are lean, you are ready. And then that in itself would start to work. I would use that in my mind. And so I would be on another normal training run. And because Comrades is in June or late May, it doesn't work in summer, but it would be winter mm. in Johannesburg with the autumn leaves blowing and it would be nighttime and I would run and without, I wouldn't do it on, I wouldn't purposely do it, but it, I would just suddenly find myself in the race at a key moment. So let's say the famous hill poly shorts and I would see myself on poly shorts, not doing something impossible. Nobody sprints up poly shorts because you've run 80 kilometers when you get there, but I would see myself running steadily not stopping one foot in front of the other there's the tv truck there's the press vehicle here's the noise of the people all cheering and i would see myself then i'd say you're going to get to the top of poly shorts before anybody else on that on race morning and then it was weird i can get goosebumps about it now i would be there on race day and i would say to myself you've done this before in your head many times and and so sometimes it it, it almost would be exact copy of what i had imagined so uh, yeah, I would fantasize. Look, I've also fantasized winning the Olympic Games, and that's not going to happen, you know. So, <laughs> but but I used to fantasize comrades a lot, and certain key sections. And then finally, the other thing that I would do is always have theme uh, theme tune. I would always have music each year that I would play and and hum and listen to that would also be a, a trigger for success. So, hold, hold on, hold on. While you were running, while you were running. No, I, I would listen to music. No, not while I was running, but I could sometimes I would hum right. uh, some of it. So, um, you know, there are, now I'm having a mind, a mind blank, but just certain key m- bits of music that would, mm. for me, would be very important in triggering s- a success feeling. And I mean, Polly Shorts, I mean, you mentioned that now. That this was the big yeah. one. I remember, I remember waking up... Um, you know, and to turn on the TV and and actually to watch you, to be honest, uh, back back in the early uh, my earlier years, uh, it was always very exciting when when Bruce Fordyce was running. You know, the cameras would uh, would always would always show you up in the front. Um, and I caught you. Now I kept you on the edge of your seats because I never really took the lead until close to the end. Right. Yeah. 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 Back, 
Yeah, so my and motto, I, my motto for running comrades was start like a coward, finish like a hero. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I am going to get to that. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But I just want to just go back to Polly Shorts for a second. I mean, Polly Shorts is 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 the big one. I mean, that's the thing that everybody talks about when when they you know when they talk about the comrades. Um, was it a case of upside. yeah yeah? yeah. So was it, for you was it a case of one step in front of the other? Um, I mean, yeah. how did you approach poly shorts? It was obviously quite daunting, um, and I mean, up and down for that matter. No, well, down, down the equivalent of poly shorts on the down run is probably a place called Forty Fifth Cutting, um, which is not quite as bad as poly shorts, but it's bad. Um, yeah, Forty Fifth Cutting, poly shorts. Uh, I more often than not used to see polys, polys as my friend because I knew I was good on poly shorts. I'm a very strong uphill runner. Um, and there, I, I, so there was something about co- coming over the top of poly shorts and hearing that the guy lying second is only halfway up or has just started it. And then you think, well, now, now you, you've got a devil of a job because I've got six Ks to go and it's pretty fast all the way down into Peter Maritzburg once you've gone over the top of polys. And it's a tiny piece of comrades trivia and it nearly ended last uprun. But so far, the man and the woman, and notice how I cunningly put um, mountaineering terminology into this to just to show you how steep Polly Shorts is. But so far, the man and the woman who have summited Polly Shorts first in the history of the race have never been caught. So it's as if once you go over the top, the pursuers give up because they know you've gone over the top of Polly's and now you're heading for home and they're still struggling up it. Mm-hmm. So uh, and one day, though, and funnily enough, 2019, Edward Matibian. Bong Moose and Tembu were very close going over the top of Polly's. Edward was just ahead, but he stayed just ahead. But that that piece of trivia nearly ended. But um, yeah, so I always saw Polly's as my friend, and I knew it very well. I knew, I mean, I can I can bore you to tears, but if I just go back into my mind's eye and see you across the bridge, there's a big. They always put up a big poster with a skull and crossbones on it, with blood mm. dripping out of it, blood hill, just to really encourage the people at the back. And then you swing left, and you, it goes up very steeply. Then you swing right, and there's a long central spine. And you count eight lampposts and you, on your way. It's, it's, it's 1.8 kilometers to the top. And I, yeah, I knew it very well. Um, I, I'm going to read you a comment now, uh, a great comment. But before I read the comment, Bruce, did you ever drive the route before you ran it? Absolutely. Every, I ran most of the route. And I would drive it two days before, and to this day, I take a comrade's route tour, uh, a busload of generally um, foreign runners, mm. and I take them through the entire course. And it's the most wonderful thing to experience because they're all, you know, Americans and Germans and Australians, mm. they're all packing the bus, and we've got lunch boxes, and we stop on the way for tea and coffee, and we stop for photographs at the key moments. And when we leave the start, and we, we drive the, the route, all 90 Ks, Mm. of what they are going to do in two days' time. They're so excited, they're snapping photographs. And then they get quieter and quieter <laughs> and quieter. And then somebody will say, this hill that we're going at now, this is a big hill, what's its name? You say, nah, it doesn't count. We don't have a name for this one. <laughs> and they'll look at you and they'll say, oh my goodness. If this was in one of our races back home, we'd call it Coronary Thrombosis Heights or, you know, or mm. Heart Attack Mountain. And you don't even have a name for it. I said, no, no, we have names for... We've got the registered big five. They're very famous. Bothers Hill, uh, Fields Hill, Inchanga, Cowies Hill. You know, those are the famous hill. 
um, these were other ones are just problems on the way. They're not major. So let me read you a comment from, uh, ironically, his name is Shaka. Uh, <laughs> he says, what a tradition every year growing up in the kingdom, going to Old Kingsmead to watch the finish. Or if it was the uprun, we would stand on Tollgate Bridge watching the runners on their way. Five hours, 20, 28, five hours, 29, and five hours, 30. This man is nothing short of a legend. Thanks for all those memories when I wore younger man's clothes. And that's from Shaka. Thank you, Shaka. I'm glad uh, that, yeah, that I was able to... Uh add something to your day. It is a very special day. It is an incredible day. And I think Comrades as a Race sums us up as a nation. I mean, first of all, it exactly mirrors our history, which, as we all know, at times is, is an embarrassing history. So for many years, the Comrades Marathon was a white male only race. And then in 1975, uh, black runners and women were allowed to run. Um, and then and, uh, and and that was a big mistake that was a big mistake allowing women to run <laughs> no, i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding wow. <laughs> let me tell you something this is a this is an amazing so at the moment i mean there've been some great women champions and one thing about one thing about winning nine is i have what i call deep friendships with my leading ladies and those are the people who shared the top steps step of the podium with me and that's everyone from Cheryl Wynn to Isabel Roche Kelly, who's no longer with us. What a lovely, lovely lady. And Nadine and Harrison, uh, um, the, the legendary Frith van der Merwe. Um, and then in recent times, not that I've won with her, but Gerda Stein, what a runner. Camille Heron from California. She's the hippie flower child, but she doesn't run like that. She runs like a demon. Um, and so the women running has become incredible. And the last comrades that we had, 2019, I, I, I was standing next to the 1975 winner, Derek Price, and he won the up run in 1975 in five hours and 58 minutes. Yo, that's and not bad, Gerda eh? Stein, no, it's a great time. And Gerda Stein won the up run in five hours and 58 minutes. Okay, so what was, your, what was your fastest no, so he looked time? At me, he, said, he said to me, Bruce, if you had told me in 1975 that a woman would run as fast as me in under and six. look twice as fresh as me, I'd have told you you're absolutely insane. Mm. And said, so, but I'm looking at her and she's blowing kisses and waving and they carried me off and took, took me into the hospital tent. So, yeah. So yeah. what has been the fastest woman's time on the Comrades? It's under six, say. So. Well, both, yeah. So the down run is Frith on over 5.54. Yeah. And the up run is now Gerda Stein, 5.58. And, and, and the fastest m male... Do we have to talk about this? It really hurts me quite a lot because it used to be me. <laughs> it used to be you. <laughs> yeah, it used to be me, not anymore. 528 uh, it was you, I think, hey? I've done a 524. 524. Um, yeah, down run and a 527 up. But now the up is 525 and the down is 518. So they've improved quite a bit. But as all the old timers will tell you, the new route is so much easier. The youngsters, they're spoiled. They've got plates in their shoes and air soles and all sorts of stuff see i'm sounding like a grumpy old guy don't worry I'm, you know you know the, a wonderful statement from the very great I, I think the greatest comrades ever runner ever was wally hayward and he because he won five times but he ran twice in his 80s i remember that uh, do that yeah yeah so i watched wally, i watched i watched his final run yeah great only ran seven times um but all seven of them were gems but wally said to me once 
when I think when I was despondent that my record was going to go, he said to me, Bruce, don't worry about it. He said, we borrow records, we keep titles. And that was a wonderful bit of advice because you borrow a record, you, you own a record for a while. You look after it, you treasure it, you feel proud that you have the record, but eventually the time comes when you have to hand it on to somebody else. And if you don't hand it on, it almost means that the race is stagnating and it's yeah. going nowhere because it has to progress. It has to get faster, maybe in later years only by a few seconds, but it still yeah. has to progress. And the one thing they can never take, Wally Hayward said, they can never take this from me, Bruce. He said, right. I'm the 1950 winner and I'm the 1950 winner. And those titles will always be mine. And so he said to me, and you, Bruce, you know, you're 1981, whatever. Um, and that, and that is actually a wonderful. I think it was a great piece of advice. But, uh, but I mean, Bruce, let's just let's just not ignore the elephant in the room. I mean, you you won eight times in a row. I mean, that is that is insane. I mean, t t I mean, like, what were you thinking? Okay, so let's let's just go back, all right? So you you win the first time and you go, that's amazing. Then the the following year you run and you win again and you go, wow, that's incredible. Can I do a hat trick, right? Little did you know that you were going to win it like eight times. I mean, what was going through your mind? So you 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 said it right in the beginning when you said, wow, that was amazing. So what happens is when you run comrades, virtually every time you swear, never ever again. Yeah. Uh, with, at about 70 k's, every single comrades runner says never ever again. They are they are hurting like you can't believe, and they're surrounded by other runners, and they're in the loneliest, loneliest place. And I always say to them, with at 70 k's, with about 20 to go, you will meet a stranger who you've never met before, so, but somebody that you deeply admire and respect, and that person is yourself, because only you are going to get yourself through to the finish. So. But then you summed it up because then almost immediately after finishing comrades, in most cases, you just having sworn never again with bad language, somewhere between an hour and a week later, you say, you know what, I've got to do, I have to do another one. And finishing comrades is incredible. Winning comrades is, you can't, you can't describe it. I can, all I can tell you is that I can capture it. Whenever I'm unhappy and, I'm un, and I'm, I've done something that I'm ashamed of or I'm a little angry with myself or whatever and I want to feel better about myself I can take myself back to what it feels like with about half a kilometer to run when you know you're going to win and the crowd is cheering and your legs are very sore but you don't care because you're going to win comrades and a, a little boy or an official steps into the road and they hand you a baton that you have to carry on your last lap around the track and that baton is like a relay baton and inside it's got a rolled up message from the mayor of the one city to the mayor of the other city, the one you came from to the mayor of the city you've run to, and you carry that baton around. I can tell you that baton is like Excalibur or a lightsaber. You, you know, it, it just is the, there's not a single comrade's male winner who hasn't raised that thing into the air. You, you, you can't help it. It just drags your hand up into the air and you get goosebumps and they're playing chariots of fire. And then you come around the corner and there are all your loved ones waiting for you and there's this big tape and in my, my day, when I hit the tape, it was made of hard plastic and it used to go bang. And then you go, oh, I've just won the comrade. And you start crying. Um, so the problem is you want to do that. You want to experience that again. You know, that, that, so yeah. such an amazing feeling. There are very few winners who haven't come back to try and win again. And that's where I think Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings, he's such a genius because once you've got that ring on your finger, you are the champion. You don't I mean, want anyone. Do you want anyone to take it off? 
But I mean, I mean, I mean, Bruce. Okay, so now you now you've won it five times, and you're thinking, all right, all right, it's, it can't possibly happen a sixth time, and then it happens a sixth time, and a seventh time, and then you're thinking on the eighth time, what's going to happen this run? And and what well, happened? I mean, I mean, what happened? How did you end up not getting the ninth? I did get nine. I won nine. I just I, I missed I missed the following year, so I won eight in a row, and then I. I missed the following year because for the first time we had an international race and the overseas runners were telling us you South Africans think you are very good right but you have never run a hundred kilometers which is the standard distance you run this funny 90k thing with hills so we put on a hundred K race with all the best runners in the world came um, and that was in 1989 um, and and so all the best in the world and then i won that race but i knew that the cost of winning that would be that i would not be able to run that year's comrades because i would never recover in time but i wanted to prove a point and i wanted to get a time for 100ks which at the time actually was a world record for 100ks but it didn't last very long before somebody broke that you borrow records remember but you keep titles mm. um and and so i missed the 89 comrades which was when the first black uh, winner of the race sam shabalala won and then I came back in 1990 and I won one more, a comrade. So I won nine, but I didn't, you know, my mother, who, as I said, I'm very, I'm bereft because she died last week and she was a major influence in my life. She never forgave me for not winning 10. <laughs> so, you know, she was, a, she was an absolute stickler for absolute perfect performance. And, and then used to say, you, you, you never won 10. I said, mom, nine's not bad. It's going to take hard for someone to win nine. In fact, Nas Buta phoned me and said to me, Bruce, I'm just going to commiserate with you because I only won nine curry cups. <laughs> and he said, his, tenth, his tenth curry cup, we had no business losing. He said it was against the Sharks. But in those days, they were called the Banana Boys at Loftus. And the, the Sharks had never beaten the Bulls or Northern Transvaal as they were there at Loftus. Never, ever. And they did. And so Nas didn't win his tenth. So he commiserated with me. <laughs> But I mean, you ran thirty, comrades. So you actually lost. Yeah. You actually, you, well, not lost, but you didn't win quite a lot, actually. No, no. So, so in my early days, which is the book that I mentioned, that mm. you know, my first one was just finished comrades. Well, I finished comrades, but in a very good time. So you could see there was some talent there, but not that this young guy is going to win. But and then my second comrades, I improved, and then my third comrades. I got serious. I thought, I wonder what happens if I train a little mm. bit for this race, get a bit serious. And then I was the happiest. It was probably the happiest comrades I've ever run because I was completely unknown and I finished third. And when you land up on the podium and you finish in the top three of some of the world's great races, let me tell you, it's a fantastic feeling. Yeah. And then the second, and then my fourth year, I finished second. And Alan Robb beat me. And I can tell you right now, second sucks. Second is horrible. Third yeah. is wonderful. It's strange. You got you let you got the bronze medal. You were on the podium. You're amongst mm. the, the three best in the race. Second hurts like you can't believe because it's what if. Yes. And then so then the following year I won and then and then after that yes then it came to an end. But what I missed was the race. So I just I I am completely content with not winning. I I know what I've done. I'm content with. Mm. So I've run some with great mates. I've run some slow ones. Um, mm. I've run some, uh, you know, I, as I said, I ran with Zola. I can't, that was almost the same as winning. 
you hit the finish stadium, you hit Kingsmead with Zola Bud, the crowd rises and yes. they scream. You know, and it's, it's almost like winning, except there's no tape and you don't carry the baton. But it's nearly, I mean, I think it was Ludwig Mamabola who won that year. And he said to us, you two bastards, you knocked me off the front page of the newspaper. <laughs> I remember I remember watching um, many years ago. Um, and I'm going to mention a name now. And tell me, tell me what, what memories come up when, when I say the name Nick Bester. Oh, yes. Great mate. Great, mate. I remember um, watching a lot of rivalry between the two of you in the Comrades. No, well, he, he, was, he finally was the person who beat me. Mm. And, I mean, I'll, I can tell the story quite. And at the time when he crossed the line, he said some fairly unsporting things, which weren't great. But to his eternal credit, a week later, he wrote me a letter of apology. And it was an amazing letter. And he and I are the best of buddies. You know, we, we truly are. And I was distraught, you know, when he was assaulted the other day and attacked and beaten up and nearly killed while he was on a training run. So Nick and I are great mates. I wrote him a letter because he also was in a very bad depression after being mm. assaulted. I said to him, Nick, you've still got a major role to play. He is the head of one of the, the, the head of the Nedbank Running Club group. And the work that he is doing with, with athletics development and sport and everything like that I wish some of our ministers could watch what he's doing. He's doing real work, grassroots work. He's making a difference. And I wrote to him and said, Nick, you cannot, we need you. We need you to make the contribution that mm. you still have. And, and you know, he and I, no, we, uh, he's, he's, a, he's a very worthy Comrades champion. If, now, I, if I could just, one thing you yes. haven't mentioned, Joe, mm. if I can just say in my own case, mm. my true passion now and why I'm an angry old man is that I, I started parkrun in this country. And that is driving us ballistic. We have not park run for a year. Right. I can, All the science yeah. has proved that outdoors in fresh air, you, can, you have very little chance of catching COVID. Actually, all crammed up in a house together, you have a strong chance. We are so desperate to get it back. We have 1.2 million members at 230 park runs scattered around Southern Africa because we were in other African countries. Mm. And we were stopped overnight. And I am beyond ballistic. Furious. Well, just just so you know, you, you, you are speaking to the converted. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm beside myself with anger. Mm. You know, just, it's just we, we need to start. We, we are, by the way, not about exercise and about running and walking, park run. We're about communities getting together yeah. and, and bonding with each other. And as, as hard as our politicians try to... Uh, push us apart and talk about racism and stuff like that. We are trying as hard as we can to bring us together. And if you said to me, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm interrupting you, but no, you said, you're not. Bruce, comrades, comrades, and Parkrun, I would say to you, well, comrades was for myself, and I'm very proud of the fact that I won that great race. It's one of the most important races in the world. And I'm, if I inspired a few people to run, or, or I made some people Sunday, Sunday mornings happy watching the race, I'm delighted. But if you talk legacy stuff, for me, uh, Parkrun park is how we remember Parkrun. Yeah, it just we we still got great plans, and we will be back, and we will, and we will show our anger by becoming. Well, I mean, it's easy, Bruce. Just run with the mask on and stay one point five meters apart while you're running. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't get me on masks either, because I'll have a I'll have a barrage of people. Me <laughs> well, again, you're speaking to the converted. <laughs> they don't work. 
But do not stop by mass anyway. Bruce, yeah. I I, I want to ask some questions that that I've got in front of me here that we really need to know the answers of. So no, so nobody really cares anymore about all your victories. Everybody knows all that stuff. What well, we really like. <laughs> what you really want to know is things like what is the longest distance you've ever run? 100 kilometers. Okay, so 100. Yeah, in fact, I didn't run the whole 100 kilometers because 10 meters before the finish line, I was so exhausted. I actually walked across the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> so I've run 99. Yeah, yeah, 99 and three quarters. Yeah, okay. never any further. Yeah. All right, let's let's carry on with the trivia. Um, what is your best running experience and and then counter that with your absolute worst running experience well are you still are we talking races or, or training but i would say let's talk training. about races i mean okay it doesn't matter it doesn't matter answer, answer however you want wait okay so what so, uh, so something people don't know about me is i'm actually an archaeologist by training and i did a lot of uh uh research and and work with uh bushman stroke sand rock art in the Drakensberg, but I was also training for comrades. So I have a particular run in 1982 when I was high up at Giants Castle, where there's some beautiful rock sites there, but we're not going to, rock art sites there, we're not going to tell anyone where they are because idiots come along and, and engrave their names on them and chip bits out. Um, but I had an early morning run right up in the in the top of the Drakensberg, and, I would, and because of the running shoes and how small and light I was in those days. I was running very quietly and I ran around the corner straight into the middle of a herd of Eland. And I still, I still, well, the reason why it's symbolic, you see, is that the Eland is the creature that, the, that Bushmen paint most often in the Drakensberg. It was a mythical creature for them. And the medicine men who painted that in, in, when they got, danced themselves into a state of trance saw themselves often as Eland. Mm. So for me, it was just so incredibly... In, in just amazing that I was doing this work and here I am, I ran right into them. But when you face a nearly like, I don't know what they call it, weigh 2,000 pound big bull Eland looking at you like you owe him money, you know, it's, um, he's a serious creature with red hair between his eyes and big dewlap. Mm. And, but I, and I just stood absolutely still and the Eland just stood still and they all looked at it and they thought, you know, you're such a pathetic, skinny looking. It just wouldn't be worth our while to smash you. So we'll just gently trot it. <laughs> so that, that's one moment. I had another one when I was running around Biamiti Camp in the Kruger Park and on the inside of the electric fence. So I came around the corner and there was, on the outside of the electric fence, there was a bull, um, a, a buffalo bull looking at me, or just staring at me with steam coming out of his nose. You know, that early morning in winter mm. in the park. And, and he had just like all those buffalo sometimes do they've got that grass at the corner of their mouth some twigs that they haven't chewed properly like an absent-minded diner who's forgotten to wipe the corner of his mouth and he also looked at me and i just had a that's running you know that was just whoa. but then if you talk actual racing as i well i've described what it's like to win comrades it's mm. a, well, an incredible well moment. what was your shittiest moment uh my knee packed up and so um for 18 months i had to walk and that was really tough and i'm i've i'm going to praise myself for one thing i never gave up and so i'm still running now but if you run next to me you'll see there's a noticeable hobble uh but if i didn't run my family would have me put down mm. because i would be impossible to live with so that was probably and then the other one that was bad for me uh, 
was in the 81 comrades i wore a black armband protesting against um the fact that the race had become associated with the apartheid national government celebrations 1981 was 20 years of that government and and comrades became part of it so those of us who disagreed wore black armbands to show our displeasure and i got i got hit with a few tomatoes and eggs and quite a bit of abuse and i won that that race was actually my first comrades win but i was a very unhappy winner and i was a very unpopular winner people didn't want me to win you know um the commie from bits so that was a for me it's sad but then what happens is with all those things once you win again and you win again mm. the people see mm. you know take you to their heart and then right. don't worry i became darling so poor old nick bester when he won he was also unpopular because mm. <laughs> how dare you beat bruce <laughs> um and have we we keep we keep talking about the comrades but there are yeah, many no, other, other there, are, there are many other like the london marathon you've also you've also have i got it correct well i ran uh, here's an interesting fact i ran one london marathon with gordon ramsay hell's kitchens and and something that people know very few people know gordon ramsay has run three comrades marathons yes He's i actually i tough, actually do know that tough as nails but his language is really is really really fruitful towards the end of a marathon <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> rich let's put it that way. um then then i ran a race called the london to brighton which is the comrades equivalent in the uk so mm. you start on westminster bridge and you finish at the brighton pier um that's a that's a, a race that south africans have done really well at over the years um and i've run uh, i ran a, a run twice a race um in the in the arctic circle between two eskimo inuit villages nanny civic and arctic bay across the snow and you run across the pack ice gee and I've, i've run that a couple of times and you run it in july when the sun you start at midnight because the sun never sets so it's daylight all day long and they they follow you with your drinks and things with um sledges sledges with huskies pulling them good heavens you know, so so yeah that's a, it's a, a Look, running has been a great gift for me. It's 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 taken me all around the world. I mean, I run all over the world uh, in the most extraordinary races. But I think the nicest thing, forget about the winning, forget about the prize money in any way. In my day, there was none. It has been the friendships, the mm. friendships and the experiences that are things that will stay forever. With your truly great rivals, at the end of a of at the end of the day, we just put our arms on each other and have a laugh. Mm. You know, we might we might have stood in the boxing ring and pummeled each other half to death, but 20 years later, you just love that guy. You know, um, would you say? Don't tell Alan Rob because you think I'm getting soft. Would you say, <laughs> Bruce? Would you say, Bruce, that an ultramarathon like the Comrades is majority mental or majority athletics or athleticism? Sorry. Well, if you're going to win. The first thing you have to do is select your parents with great care. Okay, so I I got the right genetics. Mm. Uh, very strong legs, good heart, good lungs, no brain cells was a really stupid thing to do for no prize money. But if you, but uh, now I think it's it's all of us actually all of us even you Joe even though you hate running or whatever if you had to yes if you had to to save the life of somebody you absolutely love beyond all belief. And let's say they were bitten by a black mamba, and the and the serum was forty five k's away, and you had to run forty five k's, and you had to get back in twelve hours. And if you didn't, they would die. Mm. You would do it. Yeah. As long as you had water and you had refreshment, yeah. you would do it. The 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 training 
make makes the journey easier or it makes it faster so you get it over with quicker that's that's why you train um and the mind always overcomes you know i mean i don't want to put, put people off their dinner if anyone's having supper or something like that but you lose your toenails running comrades and stuff like that it's not fun you know <laughs> um a lot a lot of men discover in the shower afterwards that they have nipples because they don't have any left if they forget to put Vaseline. <laughs> oh, just, no, no, running 90Ks is fun. Your sunburn gets sunburned. And, you know, uh, and then you can't walk um, for a week afterwards. It's, it's, sorry, excuse my ignorance, um, but did you run with the same number? Or is that just a yeah. rugby thing? Oh, did you have the same number? No, no, you, no you get... So when you enter, when you enter the 2022 Comrades Room, which I know you will after you've read my book, <laughs> when you enter the computer... The computer will spits out a random number which you get given. And as long as you continue to run, you get that number. Always. No? And then when you've, run, when you've run 10 times, that number is yours forever. It's called a green number. And they, they, you'll see some comrades runners running with a green number. That means that's their number forever. And my number is 2403. And that was the number that was spat out to me. And 2403, if I saw somebody else wearing it, I'd kill. That's my number. You know, but Alan Robb's number is 1704. Graham Fraser was 666, the devil's number. You know, I know that I know quite a few of the numbers. That, uh, Wally Haywood was number two, by the way. Number two, Clive wow. Craw Clive, Crawley had, Clive Crawley had number one. Jeez. And now, but now the numbers are getting bigger and bigger. But that's, so people, that's your number. If you stop running, they keep your number for you for two years. And thereafter, if you don't run again, it goes back into the pool. That's how it works. Um, as we come into the final lap here, um, I've got a question from Ashley. Uh, she, she wants to get an idea of your average eating, um, or at least when yeah. you were in your heyday. Like, what, what was your diet on average? Bad, Bad Ashley. Um, no, I was a student. So, it, so, a student, I would eat... Yeah, when I was a, in my younger days, I was eating with all students, burgers, chips, you know, that kind of um, beer. Um, and, the, and then, I, yeah, then, but then I carbohydrate loaded. And it's, it, it could, would take me a half an hour to explain the carbohydrate loading diet properly. But you deplete for three days and then you eat carbohydrates for three days. And we, we did that. But basically, I would eat whatever was put in front of me. In, in those days but you know that was I had youth on my side so you can get away with that stuff now I'm very strict quite pretty strict yeah so when you say you're quite strict now what what does that entail well, I'm, I'm I'm a I'm a banting enthusiast I think it's changed my life all my when I go for a medical all my readings are good except my cholesterol is high and when I phone Tim Noakes and I tell him about my cholesterol, he says, I'm desperately worried, Bruce, because it's not high enough. You need to push it up. <laughs> cholesterol is not your enemy. Insulin resistance is your enemy. And I, I don't like preaching because people will start attacking you, but it's insulin resistance is your enemy. And, the, and carbohydrates are your enemy. That's, what, that's essentially. So with this dreadful COVID thing that has hit us, one of the most, of, and the doctors, the sensible doctors of the world were begging, one of the ways we would have kept the death toll down is if we'd looked at diet, first of all. You know, we all know who the most vulnerable are. And you don't want to point fingers, but it's 
it's the, it's what they eat. And so when they when they get themselves into a vulnerable state, then they get COVID, they die. And yes, yes, I don't want to hear thousands of people telling yes, but young, fit people, of course. But generally, the next major step for the world is that they actually, we have to start looking at world health and why so many people are obese or badly overweight with high blood pressure. And I can tell you this, it has quite a lot to do with carbohydrates. I know it's a difficult question to answer, but if you were eating like this in your heyday of running, do you think you would have run faster? Yeah, I would have gone faster. You see, again, I'm going to go back to my my subject. I'm a, as I told you, I'm an archaeologist. So Mm -hmm. we, we do one of the the great teachers I had was Philip Tobias, who was he was one of the world's experts on, you know, early hominids. We have to remember what we are. We are not modern humans in the technological age. We've been that for about one second of a 24-hour clock. For most of the rest of the time, we have been hunter. Notice I'm using the hunter gatherers. Hunter gatherers, mm. and hunter gatherers means we ate other animals. And we gathered, and by the way, when you gather, tortoises are gathering. Eggs in a nest is gathering. And yes, some bitter fruits, but not a luscious pawpaw like you'll buy at the veggie shop. Uh, Bitter fruits, green leafy vegetables, some roots we would gnaw on reluctantly when we couldn't kill an animal. And that's what our digestive systems are designed to digest. And that's who we are. We are millions of years old. We have not adapted to eating a Chelsea bun in the last 200 years. Yeah. That's the greatest disaster to before mankind. The two greatest disasters, and I'm summing up, Tim. The first is agriculture, when we started planting wheat and maize and mm. barley and all those things. Grains, disastrous. And the second was the Ansel Keys diet of 1977, where he identified cholesterol and high fat as your enemy. It's the opposite. But, you know, I'm going to be now, hundreds of people are going to attack me. I don't care. I know it works for me. Now, you, generally speaking, with my audience, have, have probably got a, a large fan base uh, for yeah. saying what you're saying. Um, but there is one very important comment that's been made here saying um, it's, it's critical that, uh, that uh, Bruce has included beer in his diet. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, well, I haven't really anymore. That's the thing. So I, there was a lot of beer in my diet when I was young, but now I, um, yeah, as I said to you, I'm a Scot, and I, my father, who I also dearly miss, um, when I was younger and he drank whiskey, I, I thought he was absolutely insane. It just tasted terrible. It was awful, and I've suddenly realised how wise he was. Um, and then red and white wine, and I, lo- I'll have a, I love a beer. I don't know. There's certain times when you. There's nothing that beats an ice cold beer. So yeah. I once did the Samong Kong um, Absail, which is in Lesotho. It's a 200 meter um, uh, waterfall and you have to abseil down the side of it. And when you go over the lip of that thing, you are on your own. And it takes you 20 minutes dangling in space to get to the bottom. And I still remember that I was terrified. Woo, mm. The birds were flying around my head. I, cl- I screwed my eyes closed for the first 50 meters until I realized that it's going to be okay, I'm not going to die. Uh, and when I got to the bottom, the first thing they do is they hand you an ice-cold Maluti, the Sutu beer, and that thing goes down without touching sides. Boom. Yeah. <laughs> and funny enough, when I, then they ask you to sign the book, because there's a book, there are very few people who've done it, you sign the book that you've done it. 
and there was a lady who had done it two days before me and she wrote this beautiful thing that I've never forgotten. She said, I have discovered today what lies on the other side of fear, a beautiful rainbow. Sure, that is quite, quite poetic. Yeah. Eh? And that, by the way, is it's the same when you line up for a race like the Comrades Marathon, especially your first one. You are terrified out of your mind. And when you finish, you discover that on the other side of fear lies a beautiful rainbow. Just quickly, before we, before we wrap up, I forgot to ask you earlier, your strategy, sorry, going back to the Comrades, your strategy was to hold back a little bit until... Yeah. What, how did that come about and, and how, how did you know that it was going to work? Did I mention that I've written a book? So in this book... <laughs> yes, I know, but you only launched the book last week. <laughs> I, 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 my very earliest races, I tried to go out and, be a, and, and, and mix it with the top guys, and I got thoroughly smashed. And so what I did after a while was to start cautiously and, and then pick it up towards the end. Cautious is still a, you know, it's still a, a, a word in its broadest sense. But So my motto became always with long-distance races. Not if I'm going to do an 800-meter or 1,500-meter or a mile race on the track. I'll go, I'll go flat out because I want to try and get a fast time. <clears throat> but when you're running Comrades, it is 90 Ks. If you're going to win, it's going to be about five and a half hours. Five and a half hours at three minutes, 35 seconds per kilometer, up and down some of the worst hills that you'll find anywhere in the world, and generally in intense heat. I always said, start like a coward and finish like a hero. And what happens is once you start catching people in the second half of the race, and you do, because they've all gone out too fast, then as you catch them, you get a boost and another boost, and you get, you get so motivated by how you're progressing compared to people around you. And so I used to always hang back a bit and then come through strongly at the end. And that tactic worked for me almost every time. I never, ever, ever led the Comrades Marathon at halfway. And generally, I took the lead in the last 10 kilometers. Sure. Yeah, but that, but that also takes a lot of confidence in yourself, I think. And fear. Mm. You know, I don't like hurting. You know, and you hurt a lot when you mistime a race. I don't like hurting and I don't like being reduced to a walk. Tell me I something. I want to finish strongly. I want to look good. In those days, by the way, Joe, I had long, beautiful, flowing blonde yes. hair. I'm absolutely. I remember. Gorgeous. Never threw any water on my, on my head, ever. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil that look. And, and long before Faf de Klerk. Faf de Klerk copied me. If, if it weren't for all the people on the side of the road and at the stadium at the end, do you think you would have finished in a slower time? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, the London to Brighton, which I ran a few times, I, I, mm. um, I very few spectators. You know, you run along and, they, and some old lady would say, what are you doing running on the road? We've got a perfectly, <laughs> we've got a perfectly good bus, you know. Yeah, but... But comrades, no, I, and also I show off, you see, in front of a crowd. So the crowd lifts you, mm. um, and they're wonderful. And when, then when you become the darling of the crowd, you know, obviously I told you in the beginning that they hated me, but by the time you've yeah. won two or three or four, now you're the darling of the crowd. Now they just can't wait, and they cheer you on. So it's a, no, it's a mile, incredible. Bruce, it's been a, it's been a great pleasure chatting. Um, I uh, I will certainly stay in touch with you because I want to get uh, your book details so I can put it on my yes. website and get and get um, and get the link and all that. So I'll get all that stuff from you tomorrow morning. Um, but it's been a it's been a great pleasure. Uh, you are, in my view, probably one of the greatest runners in history, not just 
um, in South Africa. And that's also, you know, take it from whence it comes. I have a very limited running knowledge, but um, I, I enjoy excitement. And, uh, and that's something that I think you brought, at least to my world of watching running. I think that's fantastic. I'm, I'm delighted. You know, um, there's, there's nothing worse than a boring sport, let's be honest. Well, yeah, look, sometimes watching marathon running can be a bit, little bit like watching paint dry. It depends, you know, but, mm. but the Comrades is not. And, the, and now with these wonderful guys and girls running at the Comrades, is exciting, exciting beyond belief. So I can't wait for it to be run again. Are you going to do the Comrades again? Uh, my family's listening. <laughs> I'll ask you on WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. WhatsApp. <laughs> all right, Bruce. It's listen. Yeah. No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Listen, it's been a great pleasure chatting. Enjoy the rest of your evening and your whiskey. Thank you. Um, yep. We so we shall stay in touch. Thanks again, and, Bruce. By the way, keep up the good work you're doing. Uh, the, through through um, lockdown, it was people like you and. Pandemics, Nick Hudson, mm. Unati Quaza. I'm trying to think of some of the people I absolutely hero worship. Roman Kaban. It's just without those people, I would have gone ballistic. I've never in my life been so disappointed with the mainstream press about how they pushed mm. the agenda of fear, fear mongering, terror with words like surging and pandemic yeah. and things like that. that it's an absolute disgrace. I agree with you. Yeah. It's been, it's been anyway, a great pleasure, Bruce. Okay. All right. Cheers, cheers, Jim. My name is Jim. This is Jim Warfare, the Battle of Ideas.